listen. Those are the drums of liberty. What if we had no inflation? How much wealthier would we Americans be? Stay tuned to the Liberty Minute to ensure we measure the U.S. dollar correctly. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, folks. I'm David, and welcome back to the Liberty Minute. Let me ask a simple question. What if we had no inflation? It's just a simple question. And the easy answer is, we would be a lot wealthier. How much so? Well, according to our book of the day, quote, the average American is more than twice as wealthy as in 1970. But this increased wealth partly reflects advancements in technology, such as higher living standards brought by better cars and smartphones, and also the spread of the two-earner family, unquote. But that debasement of the American dollar since the 1970s has led to the U.S. dollar's slow decline and devaluing for the past 50 years. And today's book of the day, we're going to talk about that. And that book is called Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It by Steve Forbes, Nathan Lewis, and Elizabeth Ames. And I should say this book is a fantastic read. Uh, I breezed through it very, very fast on a trip to Atlanta, Georgia, and it documents literally everything. It has a great little history on how we got to where we're at. It has a great little section on how we correct it, and I highly recommend this book. Very, very good. Well-written. And I should say, back in 2000, I worked for the Steve Forbes campaign, presidential campaign, here in the state of Ohio, and I'm quite proud of that work. So what do I mean when I say the U.S. dollar has been on a slow decline for the past 50 years? Well, first, let us answer this simple question. What is money? And to do that, let's go to our book of the day. Quote, to understand how a currency loses value and causes inflation, it's necessary to appreciate the role of money in the economy. You may have heard numerous definitions of money. We're told that it's a, quote, medium of exchange, a unit of account, a store of value, among other things. These definitions, however, miss money's primary function, which is as a measure of worth. Money is a measuring instrument much like a clock, a roller, or a scale. But instead of measuring time, space, and weight, it measures what something is worth. The Founding Fathers appeared to acknowledge this when they wrote the U.S. Constitution. They described Congress's power to coin and regulate money in the passage that established the standard of weights and measures. 
an often overlooked point in our U.S. Constitution. Back to the book. The ancients invented money centuries ago to provide a mutually accepted standard of value that eliminated the messiness of barter. Before the invention of money, a buyer and a seller would have to agree, for for example, that one sack of chickens was equal in value to the other's bushel of wheat. Can you imagine that? Coins eliminated the potential for disputes by providing a mutually agreed upon unit of worth, not to mention that made transactions a lot easier. Instead of buying that sack of wheat with a sack of squawking chickens, you could shell out a few coins instead. End of quote. Wow, can you imagine that? Hey man, I have this sack of squawking chickens, but I really need your sack of wheat. Can I trade you one for the other? How would that work? (laughs) How do you measure the value of squawking chickens to the value of wheat? So the bartering system was, in fact, how trade happened before money became the preferred medium of exchange and a trust in the trusted system. And if sound money goes away and can no longer be trusted then a bartering system will have to come back again because human beings will need to trade. It's the way the world works. But one of the greatest nuggets of wisdom that we've ever shared is also in what we just listened to. Did you catch it? Let me repeat it again. Money is a measuring instrument, much like a clock, a ruler, or a scale. But instead of measuring time, space, and weight, or weight, It measures what something is worth. The founding fathers appeared to acknowledge this when they wrote the U.S. Constitution. They described Congress's power to coin and regulate money in the passage that established the standard of weights and measures. End of quote. Why is this important? Because money is, like we just talked about, a measuring instrument just like a clock, a ruler, or a scale. So to make the analogy hit home even more, what if the ruler would no longer be pegged to inches or feet or yards? In fact, what if that yardstick would be arbitrary? So much so that when we started building houses and skyscrapers without any need of sound building practices like using universal measurements such as a yardstick. What if that yardstick sometimes would be inches, feet, and yards, and sometimes centimeters, and sometimes those inches, feet, or yards would actually not measure inches, feet, or yards. And perhaps that yardstick that is the same whether it's in San Francisco or Washington or Columbus, Ohio or Atlanta, Georgia, What if sometimes that yardstick, like I said, wouldn't measure feet or inches and it couldn't always be reliable in its measuring. It couldn't be trusted. And when you would argue that you should always have a universal measurement across time and space, folks would simply reply back. Well, that's just the way it is. Wouldn't that 
be a tragedy? To me, it sounds like it. President Nixon removing the U.S. dollar from the gold standard in 1970s is removing, was removing sound economic principles from the money system. And now many people will argue against that. But sadly, after the last 50 years, the results are in and unsound money hasn't helped the U.S. dollar at all. It's actually devalued it for the last 50 years. And let's get back to our notion of the yardstick. And let's, in fact, start calling it the golden yardstick. So let us answer what is inflation. And actually, this uh, this book does a great job at defining terms. And there's two kinds of inflation, non-monetary inflation and monetary inflation. Let's go back to the book. Quote, inflation, as most people think of it, and as we refer to it here, is not simply price increases. It's about the distortion of prices that results from the debasement of money. Defining inflation simply as rising prices does not convey the sense of unease commonly associated with the term. The feeling that something isn't right about the prices of goods and services that seem to be shooting up for no apparent reason. Now, monetary inflation is the corruption of money. Those sneakers that cost a hundred dollars a year, or that cost a hundred dollars a year ago, suddenly cost a hundred and fifty. Or your weekly grocery bill that used to be a hundred dollars, and now it's approaching two hundred. You wonder. Is all of this really due to the pandemic? Those grocery bills seem a little too crazy because things started going up even before COVID. Like that house you bought back in the year 2000 for 600,000. You didn't spend a dime to renovate it and it's in need of repair. No one's flooding into the neighborhood. Plenty of other houses are for sale. Yet in 2021, a little more than two decades ago, your house ends up selling for just under $930,000. Now you're thrilled about the profit until you discover that $930,000 in 2021 will barely get you another home of comparable value to the one you have just sold. You may even have to put a little cash toward buying something new or else take a step down. That's inflation. And this brings us to the more concise definition of inflation, which is the distortion of prices that occurs when money loses value, end of quote. So some folks might not think that inflation really is that bad. You know, they'll hem and haw and they'll make some roundabout argument that doesn't make any sense. It's pretty much a word salad. So let us answer, why is inflation bad? And in a section called The Second Oldest Profession, the authors shed light on a quick run-through of inflationary history. Now, I think it's funny that they titled this section The Second Oldest Profession, because you know what the oldest profession is, don't you? (laughs) If you don't, 
please do your own Google search on the oldest profession. So going back to the book, quote, however, monetary inflation, real inflation, the kind that devastates economies and societies, is something different. A corruption of prices resulting from the debasement of currency by governments. Currency debasement has been called the world's second oldest profession because it's been around since the invention of money. The first coins minted in Lydia, Turkey, in the 7th century BC did not contain the gold and silver indicated by their face value. In ancient times, governments and also counterfeiters debased their coins by melting them down and reissuing them with cheaper metal mixed with a lower percentage of gold or silver. This newly created, quote, wealth might have been worth less than the cold old currency, but it could fund debt-strapped governments and the excesses of rulers, at least at first. And here's where the authors do just a fantastic job. They, uh, from the Roman Emperor Nero and his antics with debasing the currency to the other emperors after him that were increasingly corrupted to China in the 1400s to Britain's most famous coin debaser, King Henry VIII, to Spain's revenue-hungry government of the 16th and 17th centuries, to the French franc, and finally to the British colonies and the continental dollar that was passed out like it was confetti. They summed up all this history with this moral of the story. Money is like everything in the economy. It loses value when there's too much of it. So how do we gain real economic leadership again? And how do we get America flourishing again? Well, we're going to have to return to sound and stable money. And as an example, we will need to peg the dollar back to the gold standard to ensure its stability. Let's go back to the book for the final quote. Quote, the best way to end inflation and to spur economic growth is through a return to sound to a sound dollar anchored by gold. A gold standard simply links the greenback to gold in much the same way that dozens of countries today link their currencies to the dollar or the euro. The U.S. relied on a sound dollar for nearly two centuries, and it became the wealthiest country in the history of the world. Remember, money is, above all, a measure of worth. We should no, no more manipulate the dollar's value than we should float the number of inches in a roller or a yardstick. And yet we have, with disastrous results. The last 50 years of inflationary Fed policies and the floating fiat dollar has seen slower growth and more economic crisis. According to one study, their frequency has doubled since the early 1970s compared with the Bretton Woods and classical gold standard periods. That study was conducted before the financial meltdown of 2008. With a gold standard, there would be no inflation. Full stop. A gold standard simply means that the money has been fixed to a value and can fulfill its intended function 
as a trusted unit of worth. Stable money and no inflation would mean more investment and a soaring economy. During the late 1800s era of the classical gold standard, when the U.S., England, most of Europe, and eventually Japan linked their currencies to gold, more wealth was created during that century than all the previous centuries put together. United States had what could be characterized as full employment, jobless rates of less than 5% during most of the decade of the 1920s and also the decade of the 1960s when the dollar was pegged to gold. Contrary to what many people believe, you don't necessarily need a large supply of gold to maintain a gold standard. A system could be phased in within about 12 months, and after that, watch the economy take off. And then let's end with this quote. Today, Americans are decrying the emergence of cancel culture with its unprecedented suppression of unwanted ideas. Sadly, this one-sidedness is nothing new in official Washington, which has shut out any consideration of a return to the monetary principles that built America's storied prosperity, achieved through stable gold-based money. The country is paying the penalty through rising prices and an ever-shrinking dollar. It's high time to reopen that debate. Yes, it is high time to reopen that debate. And as a side note, while we're here, we need to talk about the spending side of this equation, too. Washington, D.C. spends other people's money like it's growing on trees. It's just unbelievable. Both political parties are responsible for this. We need to get America off this willingness to spend like a teenager with a credit card and no credit limit. Responsible parents know this. You and I know this. And what do responsible parents do when they have a child that is spending money outrageously? They take the credit card away. And that's what needs to happen in Washington. No matter the whining, cut up the credit card, please, and rein in the irresponsible spending child that is in Washington, D.C., in both political parties. You know, the child's going to get back a credit card once they can be trusted with having credit again. And we haven't achieved a national budget, a national balance budget in over three decades. The mid-90s is the last time. It's high time the American electorate votes for sound and stable politicians who think for who think about sound and stable money and return America to the gold standard and cut up America's credit card and stop the spending, my Lord. Sorry, just had to mention that too because government spending is what has kicked off this monster of inflation. And from the sounds of it, it will be a tough monster to defeat. They just passed, as of a couple days ago, they just passed another $2 trillion, I think, for a total of now $4 trillion in spending in the last 20 months. Unheard of. Inflation is going up, folks. Can't get around it. And the Fed has been very slow and weak to get out in front of it. 
So, in today's Liberty Minute, let us understand the history of how we built American prosperity for the first 200 years of the life of the country. Many don't realize that most of the world's currencies during the late 1800s were linked to gold. In fact, for the United States, Alexander Hamilton and George Washington in the 1790s understood the first principle of linking the nation's currency to gold. This is a very important fact to remember. The founding fathers were all about sound economic principles. So the gold standard was the first of the sound economic principles. It's only in the last 50 years that currencies started floating the ideas to move away from the gold standard. And obviously led by Richard Nixon's disastrous economic policies in the 1970s, which have led us to the position we're in now. No matter what political party is in power, this has been an increasing problem. There's an overwhelming need to return to the policies of sound and stable money. It will ultimately destroy inflation. And when we do get the policies of sound and stable money, the world will look again at America as the strongest and the most free country. And the most crucial element of all this is the world will trust America. And then America will be back on the path to a flourishing economy. And the world will reinvest in America in staggering solid numbers. Because the world will know the U.S. dollar can be trusted. And with trust comes reinvestment. And the U.S. dollar will again be the gold standard. And it will be measured by the golden yardstick. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com, where we have everything we discussed in this podcast, as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually 69 pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.